This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Helen, that was just for you. <laughs> I really had a smile at that, and the old fashioned television and the wallpaper and everything it was just to hit the spot. Hashtag stay woke, go broke. Uh, let's have a look there. Why South Africa won't survive America's culture wars and what you can do about it. About it. Yes. Yeah. Helen, it's so nice to have you back. Good to be back. Thanks, Jim. Nice to see you. Um, last year, I was looking through the reading list for the Young Leaders Program of the Democratic Alliance. And there were all the good liberal texts there, as we understand the term liberal in the classical liberal sense. Mm. They were all there, and it was a very worthy reading list. But there was nothing that would help a young South African facing the current onslaught of critical race theory and enabling them to navigate their way through it. And I said, no, we really must find something to be absolutely relevant in the time that we're currently in. We need to find a good book around how young South Africans can face the tide of wokeness and how liberal South Africans should be able to respond to it. And there wasn't one, so I just thought, well, I better write one. And that's why I wrote the book. Why you, Helen? Why would you write a book on wokeness? Well, lots of people have asked that. I mean, anybody can write a book on wokeness, and I just happen to want to. It's something that's um, piqued my interest, as it were, because it really has destroyed Nelson Mandela's vision of the future. And it has taken us into a complete misdiagnosis of what South Africa's problems are and is going to result in very, very negative and morbid consequences unless we see through it and unless we understand that it is not going to make South Africa a better place for the majority of poor and marginalized people, but make it much, much worse. I mean, there are sort of like three or four major um, sort of themes that run through it. Number one, what is wokeness? Uh, number two, how it's infiltrating um, South Africa because it's a predominantly Western problem. Um, and mainly, when, I, when we say Western, actually mostly the United States. Um, and then, of course, then the, the sort of the third 
theme in your book uh, is is kind of what to do about it. Yes, indeed. A lot of people don't know what it means, and a lot of people think it just means being alive to injustice, mm. which is a really good attribute to have to be alive to injustice. And if that's what it meant, I'd have absolutely no problem with it. What it means in practice is biological essentialism, which, stripped of all its pretentious meaning, is a way of saying that your biological attributes, your race, your sex, your sexuality, whether or not you have a disability, are the most important thing about you and categorize you as a person into a category that either gives you power if you're a white heterosexual male or strips you of power if you are anybody else in increasing levels of victimhood and defines your place in the hierarchy of society according to your biological attributes. Now, we knew a system like that. It was called apartheid, and we rejected it, and we fought very hard against it. And to have had a totally different vision espoused by Nelson Mandela and embedded in our constitution, and then find the clock wound back to race essentialism, but with the boot on the other foot, as it mm. were, and enabling a very powerful and well-connected, enriched elite to abuse the total misery of most poor black people in South Africa, to gain massive advantages yeah. for themselves under the smokescreen of this ideology is a tragedy for South Africa. Basically, decolonize or to break apart or to de to degenerate everything that is good, healthy, um, and dare I say it, Helen, white. Well, absolutely, you dare say it, because that's exactly what it is. It argues that white people, and especially white heterosexual males, have been on the pinnacle of oppressive regimes, pivoting on colonialism and slavery for generations and centuries, and even millennia. And that all the knowledge and all the power in the systems that they govern have been tailored to keep them in power and to serve their interests. Mm. And so knowledge and power are functions of white privilege yeah. and need to be torn down to achieve justice in the world. And there is no discretion between what might be good from the past or bad from the past. It is a blanket generalization of the idea that every power hierarchy and every form of knowledge accumulation has been there to serve the interests of a small privileged white and predominantly male elite to the disadvantage of everybody else. That's the idea behind it. And that is what drives this notion of social justice, which is to dismantle everything. And if even if people engaged in an interaction or a context or a conversation or anything, don't believe there is this hierarchy at work. Woke say, of course yeah. there is. You just can't see it. You're oblivious to it. Yeah. And our job is to unearth it and to dismantle it and to crush it. And if you happen to be black and you reject it, then you are just internalizing it. Yes. I mean, then, you, then you're basically a puppet. Mm -hmm. Then you have no autonomy, you're not a real black, you're not an authentic black person, 
unless you completely assimilate to the ideas that you are oppressed and on the margins of history because of whiteness. Would you say it's a derivative of cultural Marxism? Well, I always argue that it is a derivative of Marxism to the extent that Marxism always argues that there are villains and victims in this world, that everybody can be fitted into one of those categories, but Marxism has always done it on class lines. Mm. Critical race theory still holds to the idea that there are villains and victims in this world, but they are more delineated along biological lines. And so there's, and the other thing that it has very much in common with Marxism is that it equates villains with evil, obviously, and victims with virtue. And the more victimhoods you can accumulate, being, let's say, female, being black, being uh, lesbian, being disabled or whatever, the more victimhoods you can accumulate, the more virtuous then in the hierarchy you can become. And that is the fundamental notion that I question. It is attributing values to people on the basis of their biology. Yeah. So, I mean, between the two of us in this conversation, I am the devil. I'm straight, I'm You're white, and I'm male. You're more devilish than me. <laughs> You're more devilish than me, but not by much, because I reject the fact that I'm oppressed because I'm a female, which makes me <laughs> even worse. And let me tell you, I, you know, my, look, my parents were refugees, obviously. Many of my family was killed in the Holocaust. We all know that history. And... Um, the, the bottom line was that I grew up, I think, even though we weren't materially privileged at all, I mean, in, in my early years of primary school, we were very poor. But I grew up with a tremendous privilege of having totally committed parents mm. who espoused really profound values and um, who, who transferred a lot of those values to us. And in that context, I felt very privileged. It's a value set that can't be replicated if you don't imbibe it in your own home. And it's infiltrated and adapted perfectly into South African society, particularly into the ANC. Correct. Because it gives the ANC a kind of moral camouflage for their racism and for their abuse of race to enrich themselves. So it gives them a moral fig leaf behind which to hide and pretend they're doing good and right. Meanwhile, what they're doing is actually evil. So is the ANC woke? Well, the ANC would like to believe they're woke. Mm. I don't think many of them even know what the term means, but I think they would equate it as um, as a good thing to be. I mean, many young people think it's cool to be woke. They think it's a good thing. They think it means being alive to injustice, which I also think is a good attribute to have. But they have absolutely no idea what a simplistic reductionist yeah. philosophy it is. It's yeah. noble. All right. I mean, Helen, why would you why would you oppose racism? I mean, we all need to be equal. I mean, women need to earn the same amount of money as men. Uh, black people were oppressed during apartheid. We just want to lift them up. It all sounds very noble. Why would you want to oppose that? Because you don't deal with the consequences of racism by more racism. Yeah. You deal with the consequences of racism and the desperate legacy that our past has left us by dealing with real deprivation, real poverty, 
not using race as a smokescreen to re-enrich the people who've been massively enriched already by a looting spree on the state and giving them a further excuse to continue it under the guise of pretending they're doing something noble for the majority of the destitute when they're merely enriching themselves. Yeah. And that is the problem. So we, we can't resolve racism by more racism. We can resolve the problems that racism gave rise to by looking at what the real causes of those problems are in modern South Africa and doing something about those. And our economic justice policy, for example, in the DA, although we're not talking about the DA, does exactly that. It looks at the real causes of deprivation and poverty and marginalization, which are not caused by whites and whiteness, and tries to deal with those things. A lot of wokeness is also just a deep-rooted hatred for anything white. There's definitely an element of racism in it. Mm. Although most people who would describe themselves as woke don't believe that. Yeah. But what there certainly is, is a whole lot of double standards. I mean, I was talking earlier this evening about some of the gruesome videos that I've seen come out of northern Mozambique, where the Al-Qaeda aligned forces have occupied parts of Cabo Delgado. And I have never seen anything as gruesome in my life. Mm. And it's made a little bit of news, but nothing like it should, given the fact that people, living people, are having their limbs hacked off, yeah. given the fact that people are being burnt alive there, being, given the fact that people are being decapitated there, it is the most horrific thing you will ever see in your life. And then you wake up the next morning and there's some kind of microaggression hair episode in a school or somebody insulted somebody in some space and said something that could be misinterpreted as something racist. And you think, what are we talking about? Yeah. The double standards are quite horrific. And you can say anything you like, the most vicious stuff, to a person if they're white and people shrug their shoulders but any unintended slight on yep. anybody else woke people turn it into the most intentional form of racism that you can imagine and it's these double standards that are so uh, invidious in a society i'm reminded helen of um was about a year and a half ago where you uh, tweeted a cartoon of mine about uh, making making generalizations and it was it was it was hilarious how everything that you're speaking about in your book was precisely that the irony is just so thick it it was so unbelievable i mean you know it the the whole point of the cartoon as i read it was never generalize about people because of their race mm. so just because some people commit atrocities and may be of a certain race does not mean all people of that race group commit those atrocities. And your cartoon showed up the absurdity of that. And because it showed up the absurdity to both sides, it was some kind of a scandal that I point, it was just extraordinary. It was just extraordinary. One group of people are 
is allowed to generalize about another group of people, but it doesn't apply vice versa. How has wokeness or American wokeness infiltrated South Africa? And how, I mean, how's it, how's it adapted? Yeah, well, it's primarily come in through our universities. Wokeness has seized humanities faculties in American and British universities for a long time now. And critical race theory seems to dominate the humanities as a paradigm, which basically is a four legs good, two legs bad paradigm. If you've got certain physical attributes, you're by definition good and virtuous. If you've got other attributes, you're by definition bad. And the whole of history is nothing but a litany of evils committed by the bad guys. And the role in society now is to overturn that and to fight back. And with that incredibly simplistic notion, people are let out into the world, and especially in South Africa, because so many students go into humanities and then infiltrate all of the major society impactful professions like journalism, such as the media, arts, uh, social work even, um, corporate social investment, and I can go on and on. All the high societal impact professions get filled by people who've done nothing else in their lives but sit in this woke marinade at university for three or four years. And they really think that they have the truth. And anybody who disagrees with them is some kind Mm. of Luddite that's crawled out from under a rock. And they have really infiltrated this idea into society and it has taken on, but it's also driven very, very hard by the new BEE legislation, which um, is now extending the complete rot and collapse of the public sector into the private sector. It's just absurd. Do you think the ANC is worsening race relations through its its culture of wokeness, whether or not they are aware of it? Of course they are, but that's their intention. They want to paint certain people as bad and evil in South Africa. And once they've done that, they can say, well, we're on the side of the good guys. And because the good guys are racially defined, we will make sure that all of these evil people pay penance, which won't, by the way, go to the majority of desperately poor people, but will be taken by us because we represent them because of the color of our skin. That's mm. how it works. So it, it basically gives a moral cover for kleptocratic policies. Yeah, and and the worse the ANC does in governing, the more they can blame uh, white people and apartheid. Exactly. It's a wonderful diversion and lightning rod away from any focus on their own kleptocratic policies and on their own misgovernance, which is just getting worse and worse. And I continue to fight exactly the same fight for non-racialism today. It was the morally right thing to do then, and it's the morally right thing to do today, I believe, except that it's not seen like that because wokeness is just a new form of racism that's going to do as much harm to the future of this country as apartheid did. Well, there is a very genuine concern because I believe this country's on on a wrong track and um, things are not going to get any better. And I feel very, very strongly about um, about the future. And I've got two wonderful grandchildren, and mm. 
um, I've been trying to write this book for young people particularly to get them to wake up and to understand what is really going on. So this for me is extraordinarily important and it is a personal mission. Apart from the fact that I've also experienced the so-called cancel culture and other things very directly. And so of course I write about that. I mean, this book had been building up in me for a very long time and it just all came out. I wrote it in two months. I sat down on the 20th of December last year at uh, my in-law's place in Lambert's Bay where we were spending Christmas. And then we just, I just sat down and wrote for two months. Well, the media are so woke, they're going broke. And that's really what part of my title of my book means. I'm talking about the English speaking media here. Yeah. I mean, they are so out of touch with where people really are. And they don't write for real people anymore. They write for each other all the time. And they're parading their woke credentials all over, being performative everywhere. That's a big part of wokeness, this public permanent performance that goes on. Mm. And um, they completely miss the vibe of people. What do you mean by that? Go woke, go broke. Well, I mean exactly that. I mean, you know, um, let's just stick with the media for, for a moment. Mm. The, the English-speaking independent group is going to go completely broke because no one reads them anymore. No one they've long since stopped serving their readers. They serve an ideology. They don't serve their readers. And their readers don't recognize their world, their issues, their concerns in it. They're told all the time how evil and awful they are. Yeah. The big issues are never analyzed properly and always from a very, very biased perspective. They don't ever separate news and commentary anymore. Mm. And people just don't have to read that sort of stuff because people have choices. And they can read good newspapers online and do that sort of thing. So they just tune out. And there are no ads left in those newspapers. And although print is a dying industry worldwide, you know, the newspapers that are still serving their readers haven't nearly gone on such a precipitous decline as those that aren't. So they're going to go broke. They're just being propped up by state money at the moment and the public investment corporations funds. But eventually they will run out of other people's money and they will go broke. Look at the humanities faculty at UCT. Unless they do something in many of our English speaking universities, those universities will also go broke because people will vote with their feet. Yeah. I mean, you've just seen a new university being built for as much as it costs to sanitize schools. Uh, Solidarity is university. Yeah. Mm. That's the brilliance of the private sector. Well, you see, that's what I have in my last chapter in my book is how the state that is increasingly failing and on which the poor depend is unable to do its most basic job because of cadre deployment. Mm. And the private sector is moving into the gap. The tragedy is now that the government has seen that and is wanting to hijack the private sector through cadre deployment as well, through this new BBBEE measures of this new act. And they want, just as they have destroyed the public sector through cadre deployment, they now want to destroy the private sector too. Do you think that that woke culture is going to bite itself in the foot and and end up going in the other direction for all the right reasons? Well, it is already. Um, you know, more and more and every day you see people with the guts to stand up and speak mm. out. And as I say in my book, that is one of the 
first things that people have to be able to do. You know, it's very hard. You get cancelled. Uh, if you don't have the correct ideas, you're seen as some kind of degenerate who deserves to be cast out of society, even though the day before yesterday, this was just a common sense and ordinary idea that people were free to express. But suddenly, saying that uh, race is a social construct, but there are biological differences between males and females, is something you can't say anymore. And you get cast out of society for saying that. And um, the more people speak up and say this is complete nonsense and we're going to have a different opinion if we feel like having a different opinion, and the more people stand up for free speech, the more they're contributing to dealing with this madness. I think it was in the 1960s, Helen, that there was some awful racist man who said that he had a dream about people being judged by the content of the character and not the color of their skin. <laughs> well, that was Martin Luther King's great dream, and Nelson Mandela's dream was based on it too, and the whole new South Africa was built on that dream. And um, it is a, an objective that we must keep on striving towards and working towards. And the idea that you can judge people by the color of their skin and not the content of their character has suddenly become so-called progressive, which is absurd. I mean, you know, to think that Favut's ideas would ever become progressive is just too horrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Helen, I'm oppressing you right now because I'm a, I'm a male. <laughs> well, the bottom line is this. This can be debunked very quickly by looking at the extent to which minorities have achieved far more than white Americans if you look at certain categories of minorities. Indians, for example. Mm. Unbelievable progress in the United States. Yeah. Um, Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese, Koreans. I mean, look what's happened to Korea, Singapore, all of those places. All of them were, were colonized, except, you know, obviously Japan wasn't colonized and a few other countries weren't colonized, but very few. And all those that have colonized have long taken over their colonizers and have succeeded beyond anything that um, many other societies could ever have done. So that whole explanation breaks down. Yeah. And I got into huge trouble for basically saying we could learn a lot from these societies <laughs> in the way that they, that they had dealt with their history of colonization. The third theme in your, in your book is what to do about it. I think this is probably the most important aspect, actually. I mean, the very fact that we're having this conversation, and I've had a whole lot of conversations with people, the fact that, you know, they can't get me down. They try to beat me about the head on all sorts of issues all the time. But I've fought back again and again and again and again in my life. And the fact that more and more people are fighting back. I mean, there was a very interesting letter by a guy called Andrew Gutman around the Brearley School. It's a very posh school, apparently, in New York, where the, the kids are all being brainwashed with this critical race theory. And this parent just got up and uh, withdrew his daughter from the school mm. and wrote the most profound letter, public letter to the school, and many, many people endorsed it. I mean, the fact that people are standing up and saying this is complete brainwashing nonsense. Yeah. It's like ontology. It's, you know, it's really, really very serious. It's making people feel evil and bad 
and think that we don't live in the most advanced and free societies ever, but one of the most evil and vicious and racist societies ever on the basis of an ideology that is, is, is rooted in myth. I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Are you suggesting, Helen, that the way you fight this is quite literally in the battle of ideas, conversations? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very much part of it. I mean, I begin my final chapter on what we can do about it with three form conversations about somebody talking to a woke social justice warrior about race, about gender, and about um, sexual harassment, those three things. And I have these form conversations to show how these conversations unfold. And I say, you really need to be able to stand your ground and make these arguments. And I also talk about mobilizing as groups. The Solidarity Movement has done that, for example. And lots of other groups have done that. The private sector is doing it. And I said, you know, people need to, need to mobilize and stand up for their rights in concert with other people to achieve those objectives. So indeed, um, there's a whole lot of stuff one can do. And eventually, we have to vote out these crazies. You know, today I saw a, a poster um, on, the, on, on a poll basically saying, Cyril says vote corrupt people out. Well, I completely agree with him. It would, of course, mean that the ANC wouldn't get anywhere in the next election. But that's exactly what people have to do, understand the power of the vote and use it. Or do people in townships actually even think about this or know anything about what you and I are talking about? No, they don't. They don't. But they live the consequences. They live the consequences every day. In the first decade of our democracy, employment, incre in employment, so people in jobs, increased by over 50%. We were going in the right direction. The economy was growing. It was the era of committed non-racialism and constitutionalism and the rule of law. Today, we have an unemployment rate of over 30%. Ooh, I would say it's over 50 well, probably now, unofficially, yeah. especially for especially for the for young people, it's closer mm. to sixty. So we've got an unemployment rate of that measure, which is really rooted directly in these mad policies that serve a tiny elite and impoverish the many. That is the core problem. So people might not analyze it and talk about it. And ironically, they become more and more dependent on the ANC's handouts and grants and food parcels, which make them often think that the yeah. ANC is their savior when it's the dead opposite. So people aren't going to be talking about these things. But my God, every time I see a beggar at a traffic light, I think about this. Yeah, This is all directly related to these mad ideas that are destroying the economy and these policies that are causing massive disinvestment, capital flight, emigration of skills, and all the things that are going to make life much, much worse for poor people. So while poor people don't talk about these things, boy, they do feel them. Tonight, I've, I've got this whole um, issue of same-sex bathrooms in schools toilets in schools and it is becoming an issue because a lot of schools are grappling with the question of transgender students which certainly wasn't an issue in my day that I recall at all 
Now, it is a real issue, and I have the greatest empathy for people who genuinely believe that they have been born in the wrong body. And I do believe that society needs to help people like that. On the other hand, I do believe that in co-ed schools with boys and girls, girls in their teenage years have very, very different needs, especially in ablution facilities from boys. And I really do believe that there should be separate toilet facilities for boys and girls. I feel strongly about that, especially in high schools. And I do believe that there are many women who identify as women on a physiological basis. And there are examples enough of men who have taken the gap yeah. of being able to move into women's safe spaces on whatever pretext and use it for purposes for which it was not intended. And so I believe that the issue is far more complex than just calling people transphobes and bigots if they believe that there should be separate bathrooms for men and women, and especially for girls and boys in, in puberty in school. Well, people would say they're now more enlightened, and this is the whole course of fighting the, the patriarchy, the white heterosexual male patriarchy, mm. which has imposed these categories of male and female on everybody. Mm. Now, you know, when I grew up, race was a social construct. We were told race didn't exist. It was something in your head and that people's chromosomes could not be distinguished on the basis of their race. Yeah. You could tell a man and a woman apart on the basis of their chromosomes, but not their race or the color of their skin. And so sex had a physiological and biological basis, but not race. That was a social construct. Today, it's exactly the opposite way around. Gender is considered a social construct, which I suppose it is, but sex is not a social construct. But nevertheless, people consider gender as a social construct, but race as a biological constant. Mm. And, you know, pretty poor Rachel Dolezal, who, uh, who says she identifies as black. Well, today you can identify as any sex you like, but God help you if you identify outside a racial category that people have imposed upon you through no wish of your own. It's, it's a popular trend to virtue signal. It's showing how virtuous they are because at some level they have brought into the paradigm that white and especially white men are bad and everybody else is good on increasing scales of virtue mm. depending on the accumulation of different victimhoods. And so it's a, it's a very pompous virtue signaling that, that goes down. And they're also terribly worried about their reputations and yeah. about being cancelled and about being highlighted. So the whole thing about be less white and all of that, what does that even mean? I don't know. It's as if, you know, it's as if all white people behave in a particular way. It's such a racist generalization. I mean, that is what one would have called a racist generalization in my day. Be less black. Imagine saying that to somebody. I mean, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous, whatever that's supposed to mean. Well, you can't so say white lives matter. Now, you can't say anybody else's lives matter because then you're denying <laughs> race in the, in the context. So, you know, it's, it's all crazy, but 
more and more mm. people are speaking up against it and speaking out against it. Look, I do believe that there is such a thing as transgender people. Yes. And I think it is a good thing now that, that they are getting recognized more and more. But I think it's taken on a bit of a faddish cult status. And I also think that to tell physiologically identified women that they can't have spaces that are reserved for women who identify as women physiologically yeah. is a bridge too far. Hey Siri. Uh-huh. Do black lives matter? Yes, black lives matter. Okay, right. Hey Siri. Uh-huh. Do all lives matter? All lives matter is often used in response to the phrase black lives matter. But it does not represent the same concerns. To learn more about the Black Lives Matter human rights movement, visit blacklivesmatter.com. How's that? <laughs> Ask her if white lives matter. Hey Siri. Uh-huh. Do white lives matter? Okay. I found this on the web for Hey Siri, do white lives matter? Check it out. Nothing, just a uh, just a, an internet search. Well, you see, that's the whole point. That's all, all of it. Look, I understand the genesis of Black Lives Matter, but, you know, if people genuinely believe Black Lives Matter, I think the, the Black Lives being butchered in Mozambique, northern Mozambique yes. right now matter as much as George Floyd's life matters. Helen Zilla, hashtag stay woke, go broke, and it's available on Take A Lot and Amazon. Yeah, and I know that you've got one or two books of mine, which... which shall we quickly tell that story? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed about that, Jim. Now, let me tell you, <laughs> I, my husband is a hoarder, an absolute hoarder of books. <laughs> I think it's, he's got thousands of books, thousands. And when we were living at the Premier's residence in Leeuwenhof, <laughs> the only thing he, he bought there was bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves. And when we had to move out of there, he wouldn't let me touch the books. He said, no, he had to pack all the books, and that was his job. And I said, fine. And he said, we're going to have to get rid of a lot of our books. And I said, okay, you do that. But he wouldn't let me touch them. Next thing I get a call from Jim saying, I'm in the bookshop in um, Mowbray. And I've seen that you've given my book away that I dedicate. Because <laughs> I'd written in the front of it to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was furious. And I had to jump into my car, go to the bookshop in Mowbray, and buy about 15 of my books back. <laughs> I bought them all back. And Jim, Jim, you, you're not going to, you're not going to believe this. I even had to buy back a book that my sons had given me and written in. I remember. I'm curious. I made, I made my husband phone you and apologize. I remember that. I tried to make it easy to read because these are very difficult concepts, and I've given a lot of real stories about real circumstances. Yeah. And I mean, I've also told my story. Yeah, and I mean, and if, and if you're hoping for woke people to to read it, you have to really dumb it down quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know if they can read anything that is <laughs> My name is Germ. This was oh. Germ Warfare: The Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.